Well, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 12 this morning. There's some notes on the back of your bulletin. Uh, as you can see, if you've already looked at them, it's pretty uh, pretty simple set of notes this morning. Really, what I'd like to do is to just kind of walk through a pretty well-known passage of Scripture, uh, and we end up, um, as we do that, at a mother's house. And as you can see, the title of the message this morning is Peter's Destination, a Mother's House. And again, I, I think we'll we'll just see some see some things that we're probably familiar with that I'm that the Lord placed upon my heart to point out and and then we'll we'll make just some short points about uh this particular mother that is that is pointed out in this passage of scripture and I pray that uh the Lord will will challenge us this morning but also encourage us so first of all I want you to see in this in this passage Peter's circumstance Peter the apostle uh, one of the most famous, if not the most famous uh, apostle, one of the original 12 disciples, uh, was, was the man that, that we know was uh, an emotional man. Uh, he, you know, had a temper. He was, uh, you know, really wore his emotions on his sleeve. Uh, he was the, also the apostle that is well known for rejecting Christ. Uh, but then, um, as, as the Lord arose, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite portions of Scripture He's, he's speaking to, uh, I believe it's Mary Magdalene, and he tells Mary Magdalene after he is arisen, go, go, tell, go tell the others and Peter. He specifically points out Peter to go and tell him, hey, I'm alive. Um, and why did, why did he say Peter by name? Because of his great mercy and his great forgiveness for even rejecting the name of Christ, which Peter did. But as we know, Peter went on to, uh, to preach the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 were saved and brought into the church. And this, this was a man that was mightily used of the Lord. But he's in a pretty tough circumstance here. Let's, be, let's begin in Acts chapter 12 in verse 1. It says this, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. Now let me stop there for just a moment and, and point out a little bit about Herod. Um, now, there are several Herods that, that are talked about in the New Testament, but none of them are given a specific name other than Herod. Um, it's it's kind of interesting. This, this, it was really a family of, of leaders, of kings. Um, they were an Edomite line of kings, so they, they descended from Esau. All right? There was Jacob and then Esau. Um, so they were, in a way, related to, to Israel, uh, to Jacob. But they came from um, Esau, and, and during this time, they were under the jurisdiction of Rome, but, but got control of, of Judea shortly before Christ, again, kind of under the, the umbrella of Rome. And this was a, a family, a line of rulers that really did anything but honor the Lord. They were, they were a wicked, wicked family, a wicked a group of men, and the first, the first Herod, um, that, that is mentioned in the New Testament is re referred to as Herod the Great. Uh, and this was the king who, who got his, his throne and kept it really by unspeakable brutality, murdering even his own wife and his two sons. Um, this, this was a man who, who slew the children of Bethlehem in an effort to kill Christ. All right, so this, was, this is the first Herod that is, that is mentioned. And then his son, Herod Antipas, 
He was the king um, after the, Herod the Great who was responsible for beheading John the Baptist and then also mocked Christ just before his crucifixion. He stood before Herod and, and really wouldn't give any answer at all to Herod, to his questions. And as a result of that, they, he mocked him and he dressed him in a, in a robe of royalty, mocking him um, as, as a so-called king in, in, in his eyes. Okay, and then we have this Herod that is mentioned in, in Acts chapter 12. This is Herod Agrippa I. And then look at verse 2. All right, again, it says in verse 1, he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the, of the church. And then verse 2, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So James becomes the second mentioned martyr in the New Testament. And I want you to see just for a second, turn, turn back to Acts chapter 7. We know Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. And I, I want to point something out to you. The Lord just kind of made this jump off the page as, as I was studying through Acts. And, and I, I wanted to share this with you this morning. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Okay, so this is at the end of, of Stephen's message. He's preaching to, to, the, to the Pharisees and scribes and others. And when, when they heard his message, this is what is said in verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were angry. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And, I, you know, as far as I can tell, I, I, I went back and looked it up. When, when it talks about Jesus being on the right hand of God, it, it always says that he's sitting on the right hand of God or positioned in, on the right hand of God other than standing. But this is the only place where it says Jesus was standing on the right hand of God. It says it twice. Now think about that. This is, this is the first man that, that was killed. He was stoned to death for, for the name of Jesus Christ. And the Lord, after he, after he was you know, in, in the middle of the earth for three days, he goes, he goes home to heaven to be on the right hand of God, to ever make intercession for us. But when Stephen died, he stood. The first martyr, the first one that, that gave his life for Christ, Jesus stood as he entered into heaven. What an amazing thing to think about that, that he stood. Now, we go back to Acts chapter 12, and for the, ver for the very same reason, and he killed James, the brother of John, one of the original 12 disciples, the first of the original 12 disciples, to be, to be murdered for the cause of Christ, I, I believe Jesus stood again as James entered into glory. In verse 3, And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. All right, so he, the same plans that he had for James, he had for Peter. Peter was marked to die. He was marked to be killed. And this, let me mention one other Herod, the, the son of Herod Agrippa I, the, the Herod that we're talking about right now, would be the Herod who would try Paul later in Acts chapter 25 and 26. And he is famously known for saying, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So this, this line of kings were a wicked group of kings. Generation after generation, there, there was just no care for the Lord, no, no, no thought for the things of the Lord, certainly for 
Jesus Christ, our Savior. And let me, let me just stop for a second this morning. Today's, today's Mother's Day. We're, we're focusing a little bit on, on our ladies, on our mothers. But let's, let's talk, let me just say something to, to the men this morning. Um, you know, Herod, the, the line of Herods here, the four Herods that we talked about, could care less about the things of the Lord. And it showed from generation to generation. And it was, it, it was, that, it, it was for that for a reason. Because, because these men did not show their sons who the living and true God was. Their life was, was really, it was there to destroy everything about the Lord, to, to wipe Jesus Christ off the face of the earth. So we as men this morning, oftentimes, I think, rely on our wives too heavily to teach our kids, too heavily sometimes for, for our wives to, to be the godly figure in our home. We as men need to be the ones to step up and make sure that the next generation is, is going to live their lives fully, 100%, completely, wholly given over to the Lord. We cannot step aside and allow our wives to do that. We as men are called to do that. And, and I, I just I saw that as I, as I studied through that, that the line of, of the, the kings there, that they wanted nothing to do with Christ. In fact, they wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to get rid of him. You know, men, by our actions this morning, sometimes, is that, is that what we're doing? Are, are we pushing Christ out of the way because we're, we're worried about ourselves? And, and, just allow, and just kind of saying, well, you know, this, this Jesus thing, this God thing, you know, I'll, I'll let my wife take care of it, but I'm, I'm just going to provide for the family and do, do this and that, that are all good things. But our number one role, our number one responsibility is to point our kids to Christ and to make sure that the next generation is 100% completely given to Him. That's why our country is in the state that it's in. Because we have a generation of, of fathers, of homes, that are either not present, that are absent, or they're not taking their place and leading the home for the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, I, I know this, this is Mother's Day, this is a message for the moms, but dads, we've got to step up. We've got to step up and do our part. So the, the Herods were Christ rejectors, they were murderers, and they were people pleasers. Verse 3 again says, and because he saw it pleased the Jews. All right, he, by murdering James, he saw that the Jews were pleased by it. They were happy about it. So he went on to the next one. He was going to go and take Peter. And then verse, at the end of verse 3, it says, then were the days of unleavened bread, the, the Passover. Verse 4, and when he had apprehended him, so he caught Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Now that, that word Easter is not Easter in the way, that, the way that we celebrate it today. Again, it's just referring to the Passover, to the Passover celebration and feast, which many people were gathered together at Jerusalem during that time. But notice what it says that he delivered him, Herod delivered Peter to four quaternions of soldiers. A quaternion is four, a group of four guards or soldiers so literally, Peter was sent to prison, to jail, with 16 soldiers that were just specifically um, assigned to him, to watch over him, to make sure that he was going nowhere, but to be there in the morning so that Peter could be the next victim of Herod, and so that he could please the, the crowds of people to get rid of this uh, another follower of Christ. 
All right, so his, his circumstances are, are pretty, pretty grim here. Let's look at, look at verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Thank God for prayer. Thank God for the prayer of the saints of the church. And we're going to come back, we're going to come back to that here in just a moment. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Verse 6, and when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, so this is probably literally hours before Peter would have been taken to his death, the same night was sleeping between two soldiers. Now think, think about that for a moment. Probably other than the day that, that Christ was crucified, Peter had not been through a more difficult situation than what he was in right now. All right, He was surrounded, he was laying between two soldiers, and then there were 14 other soldiers stationed somewhere nearby, making sure that he didn't get out of his cell, making sure that he didn't, he didn't get away. In any, in this, this is a difficult, difficult situation, but, but he's asleep. And he's sleeping, sound asleep between two soldiers. You know, you, you see in verse 5 the prayer of God's people, but in verse, in, in verse uh, 6, you see the peace of God's man. What, a, what an amazing thing that that is, that when we are going through the most difficult section of our life, the most, you know, the most trying things that we can face, we can have rest because we are right where we need to be in the Lord. All right, we can have peace, we can have rest, but oftentimes when we, when we struggle, when, when we're in a difficult situation, we have anything but peace. You know, Peter was not afraid, he was not afraid to die. He knew, he knew what would happen if Herod got his way and were to, were to kill him. He would be in the arms of Jesus Christ. Jesus would stand again as he came into heaven. He, did, he wasn't worried about it. He was asleep. He was at peace with it because he was dead smack center in the will of God for his life. Is that where we're at this morning? Do we have peace this morning regardless of what's going on around us? Because we are right dead smack in the middle of God's will for our life. Do we have that peace? Again, that may not mean that the circumstances are great. That may not, they, that may not mean that everything is, is hunky-dory, but we're still doing what's right. We're still serving God. We're still reading our Bibles. We're still praying. We're still doing everything that we can to draw close to Him. If that's the case, no matter what, there's going to be peace. And you're going to be able to rest like this. What an amazing thing. Was sleeping between two soldiers, verse 6, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. All right, now things begin to, to, to ramp up here. Verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. Okay, now, this is a prison. There, there's no electricity. This is 2,000 years ago. Okay, no, it's dark. And, and an angelic light lights up. Okay, I mean, this, this, is no, this is not the lights that are in here. I mean, this is a bright light. This, this is a light that, that's shown as if you're, you're like looking into the sun. This is, this is a light probably unlike any light that he had seen before, but, but he still he doesn't wake up. He still doesn't wake up. The, the soldiers don't wake up. And look what it says, and he smote Peter on the side. He, he kind of had to kick him to wake him up, I think. He smacked Peter on the side and say, hey, we, we got to get going here. You know, what, what an amazing thing. And you can look at this two ways. Again, the, just the peace that he had, the rest that he was getting, that this bright light didn't even wake him up. 
the, the angel kind of had to smack him on the side and rouse him. All right, but let me, let, me, let me back up and say this too. You know, sometimes the Lord has to do something like that just to get our attention. You know, we, we just had revival services this past week. We had, we had some, some great messages that, that were preached to us. Well, now, the, and, and I, I, if you were listening, I would say you got smacked on the side a little bit. You, you got roused a little bit if you were listening just a little bit. Now the question is, what, what are we going to do about it? Or are we just going to be happy with, with being stirred and, and, and being challenged from God's Word and then just move on the way that we have been for the last however long? Or are we going to wake up and, and do something about it for the Lord? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say more about that tonight in, in the message. Is just really going to be an extension of, of the revival messages that we heard this week. Um, but, so come back tonight and, and hear more about that. But maybe, maybe we need to just continue to be kind of smacked on the side and, and roused for the Lord like Peter had to be here. So it says, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up. So not only did he not only did he smack him, but he literally picked him up. He he woke him up from the sleep and rose him up, saying, "Arise up quickly!" And his chains fell off from his hands. So the moment that Peter took action, the shackles were loosed. the 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 resistance for that moment was gone. Verse eight. And the angel said unto him, "Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals." And so he did. And he saith unto him. Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went on and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. He didn't know if he was dreaming or if, if this was really, really real. But what I want you to say, see here is, is that Peter did exactly what he was told to do. He did exactly. He saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. He went out and followed him. And before that, he says, Arise up quickly. The chains fell off from his hands at the end of verse 7. The angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. Are we just doing what we are supposed to do? Are we doing what God's Word tells us to do? If we are ever going to experience something like this, and I don't know that we'll ever experience anything like what Peter experienced here, but if we are ever going to see the power of the Lord in our lives, if we're ever going to see God use us in a way that He intends to use us, then we just have to obey. We have to just do what we are told to do. And so often we just don't do that. So often we are so unwilling to just do the little things that God calls us to do. And until we do the little things in our lives, He is never going to do a big thing. We've got to do the small things. Even, even, if, that, even if that means... You know, praying with one of your kids before they go to bed at night. If that means reading a couple verses with them before they go to night. Maybe you're not doing that right now. Maybe as, as, a, as a dad, as a mom in your home, maybe you're not having any kind of, uh, of spiritual time on a daily basis with, with your kids, with your wife, with your husband. And maybe the Lord's telling you, just, just take a moment, just a moment of prayer. Read a verse, read two verses, talk to, talk to your kids about what it means and then go to bed at night. I mean, it would take five to ten minutes at the most. If we're, if we're just willing to do those little things, He's going to continue to give us more and more in, in bigger things, but we have to be willing to do the small things first. Where are, we at? Where are we at with that this morning? Verse 9 again, And He went out and followed Him, 
and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. And then verse 10, when they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city. And then underline this next phrase, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Look at that phrase, which opened to them of his own accord. You know, the vision that comes to my mind is like some old scary movie where somebody walks into a house and then the door on its own just shuts right behind them and it slams and everybody gets scared and, you know, it's 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 a, you know, kind of a scary moment. But literally they're walking towards this gate and the gate opens of itself. No one touches it. You know what? When, when we're following the Lord and when we're doing exactly once what He wants us to do and what He has called us to do, and we're doing right and we're obeying, we will see stuff like that happen. He will open doors that we would think would be impossible to open unless we did it ourselves. You know, I, if, I go to, if I go run to that door, I'm, I am not going to open that door unless I put my hands on it, okay? Or at least in my thinking. All right, if I run at that door expecting it to open in my, in and of my own power, I'm going to run smack into it. But if I'm allowing the Lord to lead me through, through my life, and, and there's a door ahead of me that I know I have to walk through, if I just go to it in, his, in, in, in faith, in trusting Him, that door is going to open without me touching it, and I'm going to go right through it and continue to be blessed, and I'm going to continue to be safe. And that's what, that's what Peter experienced here. What an amazing thing. So this, this is the circumstance, Peter's circumstance that he is in. All right, and that, so number two, I want you to see Peter's deliverance. Peter's deliverance. Verse 11, And when Peter was come to himself, all right, so he, he kind of rouses, wakes up a little bit from what has just happened, and he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. All right, so Peter is delivered. Now, I want you to, I want you to see some verses here, some, some side verses that are so encouraging in this area and how the Lord can help us. All right, one of them I'm going to have you turn there, but just for, for the sake of time, just listen to this, to this first verse. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. I don't think I have them on the notes there, but if you want to write them down, you can write them down and look at them again later. But I, just for the sake of time, just listen to this. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. Here's what it says. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Let me read that one more time. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So you know what that says is that the Lord is, he is literally walking to and fro the earth looking for someone to show himself mighty through. He is looking for it. It is his desire for each and every one of us to just have a complete, whole, perfect heart given over to him so that he can show himself mighty through us. That's That's his desire. That's what he wants to do. He's literally searching out each and every one of us so that he can do that. But it can't happen unless we have, as it says, a perfect heart. Doesn't mean we have to be sinless. Doesn't mean we have to live in perfection. It just means that we have to wholly be given to Him. 
100%. If we're 95% given to God, He's not going to show Himself mighty through us. We have to be 100% fully given over to Him. Okay, now this is one that I would like you to turn to, and we'll come back to Acts chapter 12, so keep your, keep your finger there. But turn to Psalms, the 34th Psalm. Psalm 34, and we're going to read a few verses there. Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34, beginning in verse 4. The Bible says this, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. What, a, what an amazing thing that is. Are you, are you fearful this morning about something? Is that, is that what is keeping you from having a whole, complete heart for the Lord? Because you're just, you're just afraid? Well, he, here's, what it, here's what it says. I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all my fears. We have to seek after Him, and He'll hear us. Verse 5, And they looked unto Him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7, And the, the angel of the Lord, listen to this, encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. When we fear Him, when we completely give it all to Him, 100%, we literally have an encampment of protection around us. What, what an encouragement that is. And then verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. You know, when you taste something, that is an eye-opening, eye-opening experience. When, when, you, when you taste something, it, it, it grabs every, every part of who you are, who your, your senses. It, it is, it's an eye-opening experience. And what I think what the, the psalmist is telling us here is, is you are not going to get that experience until you fully trust in God. Until you quit trusting in yourself. Quit trusting in others. Quit trusting in the world. Quit trusting in an addiction, a substance. And trust in Him. Trust in Him and then you'll taste it. You'll see it. You'll see what He's all about. And you'll experience it and want, and want to be back with Him time and time again. Okay, and you can, turn, you can go back to Acts chapter 12 now. I, I just want to read a few other verses to you. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 28. Famous passage of Scripture that's just after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken out of the fiery furnace. It says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And then same book, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 22 and 23. This is Daniel in the lion's den after he had, had been delivered after being in the, in the den all night with the lions. He says this, My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Verse 23, Then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him. And then listen to the last phrase, because he believed in his God. And then one more, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14. 
it says this, and they, speaking of angels, are not all ministering spirits, I'm sorry, are they not all ministering spirits, angels, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? You know, we have everything that we need to be protected, to be safe, to be in the center of God's will. Again, even in the most difficult circumstances, but time and time again, it says over and over, those who are heirs of salvation, if we trust in God, if we fully lean upon Him, then, then we, we will be taken care of beyond what we can even can imagine or understand. All right, so that's Peter's deliverance. Number, number three, we're back again in Acts chapter 12. Number three is Peter's remembrance. Beginning of, of verse 12, it says this, And when he had considered the thing, where did he go? He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. So, so Peter kind of snaps out of it here, kind of gets his bearings and, and figures out what, what's going on. Now, he is still in danger, all right? There, you know, he just escaped from prison, and in the moment that, that they realize he's gone, they're going to be coming for him again. So he is in danger. Um, he's still not very far from the jail that he was just escorted from miraculously. No doubt it wouldn't be long again before he would be searched for and apprehended. So he goes to the one place he knows he will be comforted. He goes to the place that he knew prayer had been made for him without ceasing. He goes to the place where he knew the presence of God was sure to be. He goes to the place where his closest companions and partners in the Lord would be. He goes to a mother's house. Mary, the mother of John Mark's house, was his destination. That's where Peter went after this amazing circumstance. He remembers exactly where he belongs and he should go. Now, as we finish, as we finish up this morning, the, the last thing, I just, I'm just going to consider a couple things about, about this mother that is mentioned. So I want you to see a mother's considerance. A mother's considerance. And there's just real, just very simple, three simple thoughts as we finish this morning. But first of all, this was a woman that considered the Lord. And I'll just, I'll go ahead and give you the other two. This was a woman, secondly, that considered her family. And then this was a woman that considered others. She considered the Lord, she considered her family, and she considered others. So first of all, she was a, she was a woman that considered the Lord. Her home, her home was the Lord's. All right, let me say that again. Her home was the Lord's. Can we say that this morning? It wasn't, it wasn't her house. It, it wasn't her husband's house. It wasn't her son John Mark's house. It was the Lord's. It was her house. And look, that, that doesn't happen unless we freely and willingly give our house to the Lord. It doesn't happen. So much so that really it, it wasn't just a house, it was a church. It was the church house. This is, this is where the, the saints of Jerusalem were meeting. This was the location or, or maybe one of a few places in Jerusalem that the church was meeting. You know, it may have been even more than that. And, I, and I'm going I'm to say more about that here in just a moment. But it, just, just some questions. I want you to consider these questions this morning. And, and, I, and I'm speaking to myself here. I'm speaking to the men here as much as I am speaking to the ladies and mothers here this morning. But let's consider these questions. Can we say this morning that our homes 
that our houses are truly the Lord's? Have we, have we dedicated our homes to the glory, honor, and service of the Lord? Do, do our neighbors know that our house is the Lord's? Does our testimony in and around our street or our neighborhood shine light on Christ or just on ourselves and our own glory? You know, what, what is happening in our homes that is a gleaming, gleaning example of the famous biblical phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, many of us have that, have that saying posted somewhere in our homes, but, but the question is, are, are we truly doing what that says? Are we considering the Lord when we haven't prayed or read or discussed the Bible as a family in our home for days, for weeks, for months? Are we considering the Lord like this woman did? if we haven't done those things in a long, long time or, or very consistently? Are, are we truly considering the Lord when our conversations include heightened and frustrated voices with, with short and agitated responses? You know, what if, what if there was a microphone that was placed in our home that our, that our neighbors could, could just listen in on 24 hours a day? What, what would that what would that testimony of the Lord be like? And, I, and please understand, I'm, I'm speaking to, to myself as much as anybody in this room. I'm preaching to me this morning. You know, what, what, what would happen if we did that? Are we considering the Lord when much of our time has been given over to some sort of screen in our homes? Are we considering the Lord when, when brokenness in other words, being emptied of ourselves in humility and poured out for the Lord and others. That's brokenness. Are we, are we considering the Lord when brokenness is, is just not on display? It's all about us. Our homes can be a little bit of heaven on earth if we would just submit wholly to the Lord. We can do it. We can absolutely do it with His help, but we have to have the desire for it, and we have to go after it. Second thing that I mentioned, this woman... This, this was a woman that considered her family. All right, I'm going to turn with me for just a moment to Colossians chapter 4. I want, I want to identify who, who else was a part of her family. We also know that, we, we already know that her, her son is John Mark, the, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. But let's, let's see who else is in, is in this woman's family. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. Colossians 4 and verse 10. It says this, Aristarchus... My fellow prisoner saluteth you. And then Marcus, that's John Mark, sister's son to Barnabas. Sister's son to Barnabas. So not only was John Mark her son, but Barnabas was her brother. Okay, so, she, so her family, her family, the family that she grew up in, Barnabas being her brother, she grew up in a home that feared the Lord and fostered faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she raised her son to serve the Lord in a mighty way. And again, that does not just happen. That does not just happen by chance. It's done intentionally. You know, there are many, many mothers in the room here this morning that have done and are doing a wonderful job raising their kids. As we see the kids running around playing and, and they're, you know, I, I, I run and teach Master Club on Wednesday nights. Uh, over and over, I'm encouraged by the kids and, and, their, and their spiritual growth that they have. And it's, it's happening not because of necessarily what we teach here, although it helps, but it, it's happening at home. 
and, and I appreciate that. But I, but I wonder how many possible John Marks are, are, are there or, or here this morning that are, that are being helped towards reaching their potential for the Lord or are being hindered somehow in this area. You know, ultimately, when our children step out of the door of our homes permanently, the question is, are they in a position to wholly and fully submit to the Lord because they have seen us as parents doing that? Have they seen us as doing it? That doesn't mean, again, that we have to be perfect. There are no perfect mom or dad. In fact, our our imperfections will be seen very clearly by our children. But in spite of all that, what do they see us doing consistently for the Lord in and through His grace? You know, we can tell them over and over again what to do that is right, but if we're not doing it ourselves, the, the, the picture is being painted in a very, very dark way. So she considered her family, she considered her home, and then the last thing today and this morning and we'll be done, this was a woman that considered others. Her home was always open to the Lord and others. Again, it was a, it was a church. It was a church house. In fact, some, this is interesting, some biblical scholars believe that this woman's house may very well have been the same house that the Last Supper took place in. The upper room where the Last Supper took place in with Jesus and the 12 disciples before He was crucified. And it, some believe that it may even be the same house where they were gathered to pray before the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. Maybe even the same house where Jesus appeared after His resurrection to the group first without Thomas present, and then again eight days later when Thomas was present and said to Jesus, My Lord and my God. Now, does the Bible say that? Not necessarily, but, but there are biblical scholars that believe that this, this house may very well have been the location of all those events. Okay, So it's possible that for years her home had been blessed with the very physical and glorified presence of the Lord Jesus Himself and His close followers. Her home, that's what it was all about. Can we say that the very presence of our Savior is apparent in our homes? Is our home open as a place of refuge and comfort to those that are in need? Are our homes available to be a place of hospitality? When was the last time we used our homes to be a blessing to someone else in the church or to someone that needs to hear the gospel? You know, it is such, it is such a need, not just in our church, but in the church in general, for our homes to be a, a safe place, not just for us, but for anyone else that needs the gospel, for, for anyone else that needs encouragement. You know, are, are our homes in in a state where, that, where our homes can truly be used to spread the gospel, to in, encourage people in the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, this morning I've, I've spoken to really the, the home, the family, and specifically to moms, mothers, but again to all of us. I don't know how the Lord is, is speaking to you this morning or, or what, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart, but I know as I was preparing this, the Lord really spoke to me about some things. And first of all, yes, I'm, I'm the assistant pastor. This is you know, the work that I do full time. But that does not mean that my heart is always 100% given to Him. And, and, if, and if it's not, I'm not going to see his, his mighty power in my life. And, and I'm not going to see others 
other lives change because God is working through me. And maybe the Lord spoke to you about this this morning. But what about our homes too? What is, what is the state of our homes? If we, had to, if we had to give a state of our home address, what would that address be like? Uh, what would we have to say if we had to be completely honest? If the Lord's speaking to you about, about whatever it is this morning, in a moment you're going to have an opportunity to come and do, do business with Him. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you about, I, I, I trust that you'll submit to Him.